the next question from the forum is one I think a lot of people will relate to. Um, Tom, do you know about non-physical flashbacks, or otherwise known as deja vu? Now, I get them randomly throughout my life, and not very frequently, but they are recurring specific flashbacks of information, realities that are completely alien to me, and are always very nostalgic. But since they only last about a split second, the memory of the flash always quickly fades away, leaving me with no understanding of real memory of what I saw or felt. But then, one day, as I least expect it, it just happens again. They are amazing, confusing, and seem a little bit of an annoying tease from the LCS. Maybe. Or they could just be my neurons having an occasional jolt. But how could I find out? Well, um... Yeah, they could be any of those things. They could be an annoying tug from the, from the larger consciousness system, uh, just trying to keep reminding you that uh, reality is much bigger than it seems here in the physical. And that would also be a reminder to, to get up and start doing something about it, you know, making yourself, again, more a part of the, of the solution. Uh, not only your own personal solution, but other people's solutions, too. So part of that is, is continual nudging, sort of like the, the re-experiencing the Kundalini thing. And that nudging probably is because you could be doing more, not only for your own growth, but for others as well. So you keep getting nudged. But so what are these things and how do you find out what they are? Well, they could be any number of things. The way our, our brain works, the way our consciousness works, is we pattern match okay when you see something you take that data in and you match it to the closest pattern that you have in your experience base your experience base of course is part of your knowledge your knowledge base is part of your experience base. It's everything you've experienced all your history everything you know all your experiences that's what you try to pattern match it to to see is this similar where have i met with this before you know what is the connection here so you experience something and you can get a pattern match. From that pattern, then you can interact with this new thing in a way that with some experience. Oh, yeah, I've done this something like this before, or I can use some of my experience gained over here to help solve that problem. So it's a way of bringing up your experience and applying it to whatever it is you're, you are experiencing at the moment. That's the way we work now. As you get more relaxed, shall I say, you get less fear that is an ego that's constantly tugging at your mind. Your pattern matching sometimes doesn't limit itself to the experiences that you've had in this particular incarnation, this particular uh, uh, experience packet. You may pattern match with other experience packets that you've had. You're, you're getting a um, kind of a, a bigger experience base, if you will, than just the one you have here. And those pattern matches will be very confusing because they're not really in your present experience you know, packet. It's not been in this lifetime that you experienced those things, but yet you're connected to them because you did experience them in some other time. So you've gotten more connection, I guess, through the the part of you, well, let me back up a little bit. You've probably heard me describe this before, but you are an individuated unit of consciousness and you take a portion of yourself, of that individuated unit of consciousness and 
you take a portion of the being level you, not the intellectual you, but the being level you, and you partition that off as a free will awareness unit to then come experience with an avatar. And it's that free will awareness unit that has the experience of this and this only um, experience packet, incarnation. Okay. But when you get that being level material, that being level material is, is experience. And it's got some of its own, you know, patterns and, and knowledge, if you will. And it's got its own emotions. It's got some of its own fears. Its own, uh, you know, ways of looking at things are kind of part of that being level. They're not expressed in the intellect yet until you interact here. And then you get to express that being level into this physical reality. And it becomes part of your intellect here in this free will awareness unit but it's still there and you get resonances from that sometimes that just feels like, Oh yeah, this is really familiar, but I don't know why, you know, it's familiar. Well, it's probably, it's a, it's an experience that's just resonating with a pattern someplace and you just don't know very precisely what that pattern is because it's all at the being level, not at the intellectual level. So you can't really bring it up and know exactly what's going on here because that's not the level at which you're getting the information. It's all a being level. So that's kind of what the deja vu is most of the time. But some of the time, it's just like he said, it's the larger consciousness system, you know, uh, annoying you a little bit with a, with a little nudge to wake up, you know. Reality, this physical reality isn't all there is to it. You know, look at this weird stuff. Yeah, you've been here and done this before. Don't you remember? That was about uh, 900 years ago. Uh, you know, and you get some of that, which just is a reminder. It's a little nudge to uh, help you remember reality is bigger. There's more to it than just this physical reality. And with that comes a, you've got some responsibility to grow up here, you know, to become part of the solution. You've got a bigger picture. You need to apply it. You need to use it, not just keep it in the side of your intellect. You know, so good cocktail party talk. You know, you, you really need to go live what you understand, not just understand it. So that's that's some of it. So how do you how do you know? Well, you can find out in your meditation when you get into a point consciousness state. Well, practice one, go learn to meditate. Two. Let your meditation take you into a point consciousness state. That's where you are just a point of consciousness floating in the void. While you're in that point consciousness state, you can do things like ask questions. Like, remember that time I walked around a corner and saw that old building with the da 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 da, and then I had this big deja vu. What was all that about? What was that deja vu about? Why did I get that feeling? And you will probably get an answer. The answer may be in pictures, it may be in voice, it just may be intuition. But if you develop yourself to where you can ask, you know, you get first have to get the point consciousness and then you have to be able to ask the question with your intent and you have to be open to the answer and not let your ego jump in the way. Oh, was that, did I just get an answer? You know, what does that mean? And you start analyzing and get your ego wound up in it then it won't work well for you. So this is going to take some time and some practice to be able to do this. But if you practice and take the time, you can do it. And you can find out the answers to those sorts of questions. The system will tell you just why you got that deja vu at that time, at, you know, at that place. 
And they may say, well, it was just a nudge. You know, there was nothing particular going on there. We just wanted to shake you a little bit, tell you to wake up, you know, uh, get to work. Or they will tell you what the connection was, or they will show you pictures of that thing that, that created the pattern match out of your history. So there is a way to find out. It's just not as easy as going to the library and looking it up. You're going to have to develop yourself first to the point where you can find that. Thank you very much for that one, Tom. Um, the next question I have is from Zach. Uh, I believe Zach has asked a few questions before, and this is an interesting one. He writes, many years ago, I read Bob Munro's books, and one thing that always has stuck in my mind is his description of what he calls the emitter. Now, the thing this is the thing that establishes and maintains physical matter reality. Now, I understand Bob's description of this emitter was just his subjective interpretation of the data he received, but I'm curious to know if you have an explanation of whatever this thing is that Bob described and also how it fits into the MBT model. Yes. Uh, yeah, Bob did give it his own interpretation, and uh, you remember that was uh, – Bob probably wrote that, what, in the uh, – late 1960s, uh, maybe early 1970s, but I doubt it, probably more like uh, the 1960s and so on, okay? And what I would call Bob's emitter is what we've been calling the server, or uh, in Ted Baller's uh, terminology, it's the uh, virtual reality rendering engine, or the big computer. You see, in my books, I talk about the big computer. Well, that would be this emitter. And what it's emitting is a data stream. That's why it's emitter. What Bob got was this thing was sending out this emissions, this emitter, and that's what made this reality. Well, that is the data stream. It's the big computer sending out the data stream to each one of us that then we interpret that data in terms of this virtual reality, just like you get the data from the World of Warcraft server and you display that data on your monitor and then you interpret that as some reality that uh, has its own rule set and so on and you play your avatar, you play your elf in that reality frame. Well, we're getting this, this um, data stream from this virtual reality rendering engine in the big computer, which is just a piece of the larger consciousness system. Remember, a larger conscious system is an information system. It processes information, and it's created this virtual reality for us to experience in. And I think that's what Bob was getting. He was being told that this is a virtual reality. You're getting data in a data stream that defines this physical reality. And he interpreted that as uh, instead of data flowing from a computer, it was an emitter that somehow um maintains and creates the physical reality well that's the that's the connection just the creator of the data stream i believe is the emitter remember when bob wrote this if it was like uh, middle late 60s computers really weren't a big deal then there was no such thing as a pc and computers all took up uh you know 2,000 square feet of space and were relegated to doing very specific tasks and the ideas of virtual reality and computers and data streams and virtual reality, all of that was kind of not in anybody's mind as a, as a, as a, 
a, a pattern match to the information that uh, that Bob got. So his um, interpretation as the emitter, I guess, is, is actually a pretty good interpretation based on on what he got and what his background Brown was. Oh, thanks, Tom. Again, um, right. This next question, again from the forum. Uh, I really like this one. This is interesting. Uh, based on your statement during the December fireside chat that apart from humans, there are some several trillion creatures in our PMR, since they are supposed to, there are supposed to be more bacteria on Earth than there are stars in the known universe, is it fair to say that Earth is the only inhabited planet in our PMR? If so, why is there, in the words of Carl Sagan, such a waste of space? Surely, isn't it pointless to compute it all? <laughs> well, no, uh, it's not pointless at all because there's really not much to compute. You see, remember, this is a virtual reality and everybody just gets a data stream. All right. So if you have a big, you know, $100 million telescope, then your data stream is going to have data in it that describes what you see through this big $100 million telescope. Well, there's not too many of us that are looking through a big $100 million telescope. So that's only one data stream out of uh, whatever the, you know, the billions and billions of data streams that are, that are uh, supplying this virtual reality. That's not really a big, uh, a big computation. Remember, the computations are just what goes into the data stream. That's all the computations are. This, you know, the computations in the world of Warcraft that the computer, the server that serves World of Warcraft isn't computing what elves are doing someplace where there's no player and no avatar or anything else. It's only sending data streams out to people who have logged in. That's it. Nothing else does, a, does that virtual, you know, does that server do? Well, this is the same way. So to most of us all day long, we don't have to get any data whatsoever because we don't see any stars. We don't even have to get little points of light. At nighttime, we're inside. We don't have to get points of light either. So it's only at nighttime when that part of the world that's dark goes, um, you know, look up at the sky. Now all it has to render is little dots of light. Well, that's probably a bit, you know, not, not any more than, you know, one bit for each little dot. And we don't see but a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of all the things that are out there. We only get you know what, maybe a thousand dots of light or maybe 10,000 dots of light, not the, not the trillions of things that are there. None of that has to be rendered. It's just there in case somebody one day can look out there with some kind of instrument. And then what's possibly there will be a random draw from a probability distribution of all the possibilities that might be there. That's all. It's not like that's rendered and has to be you know, it's not like it's real. So you're confused in the sense that you're thinking of this as a fundamental physical reality and all that stuff has to exist all the time. And that's a really big waste. That's not the case. All of that entire universe doesn't take up much bandwidth at all because it doesn't exist. It's just virtual. And only calculations of what a particular person is looking at at a particular time has to be rendered to anyone and only to that person that's looking. So it's not a big waste of resources. All that universe exists in probability 
until somebody looks and then it exists only in a calculation for that individual, you see? So it doesn't take a whole lot of resources to keep a university humming. Uh, I did a little discussion of this on one of my talks uh, at TMI that you want more detail. You can, you can uh, look that one up and, and find that uh, there. So that's one thing. Now, does that mean that we are alone, that we here on planet Earth, we are uh, the only game going in this PMR and all the rest of it are just lights in the sky, just uh, for our benefit? Not necessarily. You see, this is a virtual reality, and it could be that there are other beings inhabiting other planets that are going around other suns somewhere else in this, because that's part of this virtual reality. We don't have to be the only game in town. We're not, it's not, um, you know, we're certainly not the only uh, species on this planet, right? There's all sorts of things here. So in general, it would depend on what the larger consciousness wanted here. What was its what was its game plan? Was it to have a PMR with a bunch of critters evolving on it, and or was it to have thousands of those all going at the same time? Well, that depends on what the system wanted to accomplish with this particular PMR. Okay, so now we can think of it in terms of efficiency in computing. Uh, you have World of Warcraft being computed on a server. And would somebody say, well, if you can compute World of Warcraft, you could just change that a little bit and you could compute a whole bunch of other things too. So why aren't you doing it? Well, maybe all they had in mind was this, or maybe that's all they have the attention to, you know, to do, or that uh, suits their needs, or maybe, you know, they could do a lot of other games. Maybe there wouldn't be enough entities to populate a lot of other games, you see? So it just kind of depends on things that we don't know. They're a little bit above our pay grade to, to have to worry about. But it's possible that we are alone here, that this planet Earth and its solar system is the only thing that's happening in consciousness in this whole universe. That's a possibility. It's not a waste. It's just a few bits, lights in the sky for most of us some of the time. On the other hand, if the system wanted to make more out of this particular virtual reality, it could have millions of other planets going around suns that had evolving things that were making choices just like us to grow up, just like us to get rid of our fear and uh, evolve the quality of our consciousness just like us. It depends on how many players you need, how many seats do you need. You know, if World of Warcraft could go 100,000 times bigger than it is now, would there be another 100,000 times the number of players it has now to use it? Well, maybe that's why it doesn't do that, because you know there wouldn't be a market for it. Well, there may not be a market for it here either. See, those are questions that only the larger consciousness system probably knows. And... Um, they really aren't very important questions. So the next question, somebody's going to say, well, couldn't you go find out? You know, you're in a larger conscious system, seem to be pals. You know, could you go find out that information? I'd really like to know. And the answer is, yes, the information's probably available, but it just isn't interesting. That's That falls under the category of inquiring egos, you know, want to know. And it's not uh, the kind of information that is really important to your growth. And if it's not important to your growth, then it can only be important to your ego. So it's just not 
it's like, so what? What difference does it make to the choices that you make here? You know, uh, what the choices that the larger conscious system makes and why that system makes those choices. There's really no need. There's no point. And yes, it's there. And yes, you could ask, but generally you don't waste your time doing things that are of no value. I try not to. So that's kind of the, and people would say, well, don't you have any curiosity? What's the matter with you? You're a scientist. You're supposed to be curious about everything. Well, I am curious about a lot of things. You know, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't, wasn't curious about a lot of things. That's why I ended up where I am now. But I also know when uh, there's no point in asking. And when you do ask, when there's no point in asking, what you're doing is telling the ask the person you're asking that you really uh, are wasting your time. You really are missing the big picture and what's important and what's not. So it's it's that kind of, a, of an issue. So anyhow, um, I guess that's about all. Of, <laughs> <laughs> I can say about that. Sure. I, I think it's always uh, an interesting situation when our old friend, the ego, pops up his uh, his little head and uh, creates havoc. But um, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Listen, Tom, the next one I have is, is rather a long question. I was going to cut it down and just ask a few points of it, but I think I want to read it out. Having looked at it again, I think I would like to read it out to you. It, it may make the questions that the, the uh, forum member has at the end easier to understand. Their question has to do with their experiences in the dream reality. When they were around three years old, an event happened. Now, they say event because this day they cannot remember if this ever happened in the physical reality or in the dream reality. They go on to write as follows. One night when I was around three years old, an entity appeared at the foot of the bed in my bedroom. It had a glowing red energy and I sensed a threatening dark energy about it. I became overwhelmed with terror and anxiety. This lasted for a while until a glowing blue entity appeared by my side. Now, she felt like an old grandmother's energy. She calmed me down, and eventually the other entity had left, and the event ended. Now, this blue entity then became my guide until I was about seven or eight. She would occasionally appear to me and tell me of events that were to happen in the future. Anyway, I'm 34 years old now, but recently in one of my dreams, I was asked if I wanted to revisit the event that happened again when I was three years old to see what, quote, really happened. Well, I got freaked out and anxious, of course. I flat out said no, and that's where the dream ended. My greatest fear, then, is that the red entity visited me in this physical reality, you know, where things like this are not supposed to happen. So after thinking about it for the past few days, I've deduced that there's a high chance that the event when I was three must have happened in my dream reality. The biggest piece of evidence that I have only ever is sorry. The biggest piece of evidence that I've had is that I've only ever communicated with my guide in the dream reality. Now I understand that we should try to live gracefully with uncertainty, and that's not what happened to us here. It's how we respond and how we act. I understand these things at an intellectual level, but I've been trying to incorporate them at a being level. But this is an area I'm having trouble getting over. So my questions are as follows. My intellect understands and accepts that we are in a virtual reality. The dream reality is obviously just another virtual reality. But is there a better way to understand and accept paranormal events, either in a dream reality or in this physical reality? It seems to me that I'll have somehow to learn to accept paranormal events in both realities to really get over this fear. Yes, uh, well... The way to 
look at paranormal events is just that they're not paranormal. They're just events. They're just things that happen. We live in a, you know, we exist as consciousness in a, you know, in a multi-dimensional reality system, if you will. It's, there are multiple virtual realities. There is this physical reality and we exist as a piece of all of that. So our experience will sometimes not fit just into this physical reality because we're not just of this physical reality. We're of something larger as consciousness. So paranormal experiences are really just normal experiences when you look at them from a bigger picture. There's nothing, you know, they're not woo-woo at all. They're just the way reality works once you have a bigger view of what reality is. So first of all, you're, you, you become aware of this red entity at the foot of your bed, and then you get the idea that this entity is threatening. There's a very high probability that that's your fear talking. You find an entity, and, and yes, you were quite correct in, in your later, uh, in, in your recent assumptions, and that is that all this took place in the non-physical. There was not a physical entity standing with a physical form at your bed and so on. It only seemed that way. This was all going on inside of non-physical space. Had been a, a movie camera running in your room, it would not have seen any red entity at your bed. Had uh, your parents walked in in the room at that time, they would not have seen any red entity at the bed. This wasn't a physical thing. It just seemed like a physical thing. It was a thing in in uh, of the larger reality. Let's just put it that way. Remember, your consciousness, you are also a thing of the larger reality. So you see, that's why you get to experience these things like this, and that's why they seem very real. Now, when you saw that red entity, there was two things going, several things that were kind of happening at the same time. And of course, everybody has free will, so you never quite know how these things work out. The red entity, red entity was there on purpose. It wasn't that you just made that up in a dream. That red entity was put there in your dream on purpose for you to react to it. And partly you could say it was a, a fear test, but that's only a, a small part of it. It was there to see how you would react. It's not so much a test as it was just there for you to react to. Now you reacted to it with fear and that it seemed ominous and, and bad and it had kind of a negative sense to you. Well, when you're small and you see something that's bigger than you are and you're small and vulnerable and you don't know what or who it is, reacting with a sense of foreboding and it's negative and fear is just the way it is. Reminds me of my own little children uh, when they were like three or four and somebody would come over to the house that they didn't know and my little girl would run around behind me, get behind, you know, and stick her head out from between my legs to look who it was. But she wasn't gonna do that where they could grab her or anything. She was gonna hide behind my legs, you know. Any of you has had young children, you've all had that experience where the little ones, you know, they, uh, things new come up, you know, they hide behind mom and dad uh, for protection until they find out for sure whether that new thing is gonna bite or not. So that was kind of the mode you were in. So the negativity 
that you felt there was negativity that you supplied, not necessarily that this being came with any negativity. That's what I meant when I say that's your own, that was your own fear talking about that. Now, the other part of this is that right after that, you know, we get the bad cop, good cop thing. So right after the bad red cop, you know, frightens you and makes you feel bad, then, you know, the blue good cop shows up and, and says, oh, it's all right. You know, they won't hurt you. It'll be okay. And kind of sues you. And grandma takes takes care of it. And then grandma becomes your your guide. Well, when you're small like that, you don't trust anything. Again, my daughter hiding behind my legs when somebody comes to the door. You don't really trust much of anything, but now you trust grandma because she helped you deal with the red thing. She made the red, the red guy go away. Okay. And uh, that meant she was one of the good guys and she could be trusted and she was kind of like a grandmother energy anyway. So you kind of had the inclination that she would be trustworthy, but she helped you out here and saved you from the bad thing. And that started off a very positive relationship that you had then for another, what, five years, four, four or five years. Otherwise, if grandma had showed up, you probably wouldn't have trusted her either, just because somebody knew that you don't know, you have a tendency not to trust, okay? So you might say that the bad cop was there just to make the good cop look good so that you could then end up with a relationship with the good cop and that you overreacted a little bit to the bad cop um, by finding it so scary. Uh, the fact that you were that young doesn't necessarily mean that, um, uh, you know, that you were actually interacting at that age level. It's not necessarily that in the non-physical you were three years old. In the non-physical, you often can interact more like you were, you know, maybe 18 or 20 or, or older than that. So you weren't you were partly three years old and partly not. That's why they can do these things with you. And it's not like, well, how awful they're doing this with a three-year-old, you know, I mean, come on, you know, don't do that with three-year-olds, do it with older. Well, when you're not in this physical form, you're not really three years old. You're functioning at a, at a higher level of cognition than a three-year-old. So they can do these kinds of things with three-year-olds that aren't just uh, playing, you know, Monsters Incorporated, where the red guy comes in and goes, boo, you know, trying to scare the three-year-old. Um, it's not like that. Um, and if it was just to get your reaction to the red thing, to see whether or not you could maybe be worked with, could entities maybe come to you and teach you to go out of body or start developing you, uh, say, like they did me when I was maybe four or five, something like that. Uh, maybe just having a red entity appear at the bed might have been the first first step at that, just to see how you'd react to that. And maybe grandma wasn't part of a good cop, bad cop. Maybe she just had to come in later just to, just to uh, you know, uh, soothe you because they didn't realize you were going to have such a strong reaction to it. But it could have been any of those things, you see. But the, the, the point is, it really wasn't that some evil thing was coming to get you and uh, that now when you thought about it you drug up all those old fears you probably went right back to that you know to that time you first saw it all those old fears and you jumped right back into them 
So now what the system says is that, all right, you know, we tried to contact you and we tried to do this little thing with you or we were playing good cop, bad cop with you, whatever. And it didn't work out too well. You had a terrible uh, fear experience to it. Have you grown up past that? Okay. Have you gotten past the, you know, that fear reaction? Well, let's see. So now they come and say, hey, bud, you know, you want to find out what really happened there? And instead of saying, yeah, I really always wondered what really happened there, you went right back to the fear and there it was again and said, no, no, I don't want to see that red thing. And that uh, then told them that they really needed to just leave you alone. You weren't ready yet. So that's why this, the dream ended, the sequence was over and they were done. Now, if you say, okay, I'm sorry, I changed my mind, I'm going to be tougher now, you know, maybe they will go try this again. They often will do that. If you're ready, they'll do that. But uh, it was kind of an overreaction to the fear. Nothing was going to hurt you. There was no deep monster waiting to, you know, devour you and carry, or carry you down to the depths of hell where you'd have to be kept in chains from there on. You know, none of that uh, is what would have happened. And the whole thing was actually rather innocent and uh, was, was just trying to get acquainted, make a connection with you. Evidently, they were interested in you for some reason, thought there was maybe some potential or some interaction there that they could start working with. And uh, in an effort to get that started, they had to make an approach to see how you would react to such uh, intervention or, or such instruction. And uh, then they came back later to see whether that now were you ready. And I guess they got the same answer both times. So um, it doesn't mean that you've just blown two big opportunities. I wouldn't see it that way. You just are who you are, and you always have an opportunity to change and to uh, you know make that a portal of of experience. But first, you have to be able to let go of that fear. You have to have the courage to say, well, okay, maybe it's a demon from hell coming to claim me early. Uh, if that's what it is, then okay, I'll face it. I'll deal with it. I'll accept that. And uh, until you're ready to to do that, then you're best just to leave it alone, not go there until you really feel feel ready. So probably if they they tapped you once and now they've tapped you twice, my guess is they'll tap you again to see how you react. For some reason, they have an interest. In, uh, in you, and they'll probably uh, tap you again sometime to see whether or not you're, you will react any differently than you did the first two times. Thank you very much, Tom. I, um, the next question, I think, is going to be very much connected to what you've just answered. You know, this one was about uh, understanding paranormal experiences. The next one is about understanding lucid dreams. Sorry, understanding lucid dreams. Uh, forum member CH79 writes, most of my lucid dreams happen right after I fall asleep. They're always short, and there's often something moving around and showing me things very fast. And every time I'm amazed at the flow of things, all the visuals, no matter how complex, flow and morph effortlessly into the next. Side question for later, how does that work? Is it not hard to compute? But we'll come back to that. In the most recent lucid dream, I was shown a little plant. Now I thought, grow, and focused on trying to make it grow, and the plant disappeared. Then I was put into a room. An insect-like but technologically looking being was warping itself through one of the walls and got outside of the room. 
I also wanted to explore the outside, so I tried to make myself fly through the roof. But nothing happened, so I tried harder. And once again, the room immediately dissolved like the plant did. And then it morphed into the insect being. It looked at me, and then subtitles appeared below it, saying, Or, or, or. I now have a more important quest behind me. And then it flew into the void, and the dream stopped. So, morphing into my main question, if that is indeed morphing into the main question, I hope that makes sense. My lucid dreams are never longer than about 20 seconds because whenever I try to do something, it feels like moving through quicksand, and usually it just makes the dream stop. Now, I understand that you should generally go with the flow of things and not force or resist, but aren't you also supposed to do things yourself? What would happen if I lived my PMR life like the dreams suggest <laughs> well uh, <laughs> the dreams are not suggesting that you live your PMR life like uh, anything that happens in the dream you know those are different reality frames and you uh, you uh, live your life differently in each reality frame so the PMR life is just to be lived like a PMR life not like a dream life it wouldn't work too well all right what's going on here one um, that, that first question, the flow of things. I'm amazed at how it all just flows and all this information goes by so quickly and so, you know, everything's um, connected and so much information. Wouldn't that be hard to compute, I believe he said. Well, that's because you're just open. You're just watching. You're just taking it in. You're not trying to control it. When you don't control it, it flows very, very easily. And you'll find out that this world works like that too. When you're not trying to control it, everything in this reality just tends to flow. Things just work really well. And uh, it is amazing uh, how efficient everything works when you do just kind of flow with it as opposed to try, to try to control it. So that's why it seems like that you get so much information so quickly, it's because your intellect is quiet. Your intellect is just sat down, shut up, and is just watching, looking, taking in the data. And without you interrupting it, without you trying to direct it or anything to it, you can, you can process 10 or 20 times as much information as you can when you are in control of that processing. Okay, so that's it's not that hard to compute, and it's not that hard for you to follow that and even more things. Uh, it's just if you're just open and in receive mode. Now, as soon as you start to get your intellect involved in it, now you slow everything down to your own speed of processing, your own speed of understanding. Nothing can go faster than what you can intellectually compute it, but you can intellectually understand it. And that basically slows things down to a crawl. If you're understanding it at the being level and just taking the information in, not trying to analyze it as it goes, you can get a huge amount of information in a very short period of time. Okay. Um, okay. Now, why they're very quick. These things happen, you say 20, 30 seconds and it's done. That's because it seems that after 20, 30 seconds, you decide how you want things to be. Okay. Now, yes, you are to take action and to exert your free will in the process. 
but you're not necessarily the master of ceremonies. You're not necessarily running everything and should control it. First, before you take charge and want to be the CEO, you know, and the executive director, or, or at least the, you know, the director of whatever's unraveling, first thing you should do is explore it. When you explore something, you're not directing it. You're not in charge of it. You're not um, ordering it. You're just exploring it. So the first thing you do when you, you know, have some run into some entity or something happens or this big insect-like person or you're in a room or whatever it is, explore it. Explore what's there, why you're there, what does it mean? How did you get there? What's the point of it? Where, where does this lead? Look around for doors, for windows, for cracks, for symbols on the wall, you know, explore it in some detail, which gives the, the uh, virtual reality rendering engine some opportunity to, you know, to work with you. But if you don't explore it, if you're not out looking for input, if all you want to do is produce output of your own and control it, then you're not giving the larger conscious system much opportunity to work with you. You immediately want to start ordering what's going to happen next. Explore first. Okay, now, once you've explored it and you see something, let's say you explore the room and it seems like it's just a closed room and you're not quite sure what to do next. And then the next time you look up, oh, there's this big hole in the wall. What should you do? Well, go explore the big hole. You know, go to it. Oh, it's like it is really a hole. It's not just a dark spot. Well, go through it. See what's on the other side. Now, there you might run into something else. Go explore it. You see, so I think you're missing the explore phase going straight into the control phase. You know, you wanted to, you know, at first you saw something and try to remember what that was. Uh, you know, you wanted to make um, a plant grow. All right. You were exerting your will on the plant. Rather than exploring the plant and seeing what that plant was about and why was it there and how did it get there and where might that lead to and um, you know how was this plant growing and what kind of plant was it just explore it in all the dimensions that you can you immediately wanted to control it make it grow and that was obviously the wrong answer and then the plant just disappeared well when the plant disappears what that says is no, wrong approach. Making it grow, taking charge, and forcing it to be what you want it to be is not the right thing here. So I just make the plant disappear. It's like, that's gone. All right, I'll give you something else. All right, we'll put you in a room. And then there's this big insect-like thing just going out the wall. Well, explore the room. Explore what's going on. Well, instead of that, you wanted to go through it. Well, you couldn't. That's because you were trying to force your will on the situation and the situation wasn't playing that game. The situation probably had some information, some experience or some place it was leading you, but it couldn't get you to take a step in, a, in, in any direction. All you wanted to do was control whatever you saw. So that's probably because you get the lucid dreaming through the idea that you take control of the dream. It's about control. You're dreaming and you're not in control of the dream. 
A lucid dream is where you gain intellectual control. Well, that's why people come into lucid dreams and immediately what they want to do is control it because that's what they think is the thing they're supposed to do. So I don't mean to make you sound like you're just a control freak and you want to control everything. It's just what lucid dreamers do. They want to control it. Well, sometimes that's not where the most productive path lies. Now, maybe if you're just practicing getting control of the dream, that's fine. And this is, the system will work with you there for a while until you seem like, okay, you've got it. You're in control of this now. Good. Now, do something useful with it. Well, just controlling it, forcing your will on it is not something useful. So you get into the space and, and you, you uh, just want to you know, force your will on the space. Not, they don't want to play that kind of ego game with you. This, this, is, this is your chance to learn something new. Expand your, expand your horizons, not exercise your ego. So that's why these things just disappear. Whenever something you're doing abruptly just changes like that, it's probably because you have made the wrong approach. You're looking at it in the wrong way. You're not approaching the problem in a productive way. And often just poof, it goes away then because it's like, here's a game, let's play this game, I'll give you the plan. And what you're supposed to do is something else and instead you wanna make the plant grow. And that's all you wanna do and you don't care what else that plant's gonna do or wants to do, grow, damn it, grow. I order you, grow. Well, it just disappears because that's not what this game is about, you see? So that's kind of what's going on, same with the bug. And the other thing, now why that bug said that uh, he left an important quest behind him, I don't know. Um, maybe you left some important quests behind you. Instead of uh, exploring things, open to whatever might come and wherever they might lead you, you just left those quests behind and just wanted to exert your, your, uh, your will on things. So that would be my guess. So relax on the control thing. You have to have enough control to take charge of the dream. But after that, you're in non-physical space. Explore it. Work with it. Interact with it. Don't rule it or demand of it. Interact with it. Okay. That's, the, that's a much better approach that will take you, uh, take you further. So going with the flow is a really good idea. But to go with that flow, you have to first go. You have to do something, you have, and that do something doesn't mean force your will on it. That do something means connect with it. Become one with the plant. You know, make yourself the plant. Merge with the plant. Um, become a bug on its leaf. Something. Interact with it, not bully it. So that's probably will help you if you go to these, uh, to take that other take that attitude and uh, things will probably then start to happen for you. Just follow it. It's like going down a rabbit hole. It's sort of like Alice going down a rabbit hole. It works like that. First thing you do is you go down this rabbit hole and then that leads to a bunch of white rabbits, you know, having a tea party, which leads to something else, which leads to something else. And you have all of these adventures and one thing leads to another. But in all of it, there's something to learn. There's something there that you learn about the larger reality system. But it's typically more like, Alice in Wonderland than it is like uh, Genghis Khan, you know, uh, you know, swoops down and takes over NPR, you know, and orders everything around. It's typically you interacting and then going with that flow.
Thank you very much, Tom. I think that's, a, a, again, a great answer. Now we're, uh, we're joined by Ingeborg. Good afternoon, Ingeborg. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I believe you have a question for Tom. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I'm coming from a workshop on active imagination, which we did for four days now. And um, active imagination, you know, it works the same way as you just uh, uh, described. So this is, uh, you, we, we have to interact and we don't have to force our will upon it because otherwise the active imagination will stop at once. So it's the same experience I made the last uh, four days. And um, yes, I, I've got a question. It's uh, totally different. Um, as the word about the capacities in NPMR spreads more and more, a kind of NPMR war seems to emerge. Uh, the scenarios are, as always, uh, let's save the world. I don't want to speak about examples here, but you know, the several people who are um, uh, trying to to make some joint efforts on a certain problem. Um, can we call these activities spiritual evolution, or is this just the same mental polarity pattern transferred transferred to NPMR? This is my question. I, I thank you for any deeper insight, as always. Okay, it depends on the intent of the people doing it. Okay, that's basically the answer. So you have people um, that are trying to, uh, let's say, uh, work for world peace, okay, save the world. You know, they want, uh, they want more peace in the world and less war. So a whole bunch of people get together and they all use their intent to focus on peace in the world. Okay, so that is, you know, that is the activity. Now your question is, is that, uh, you know, is that part of spiritual evolution? Is this part of this process of all of us growing up that these people are helping that process by helping the, you know, peace grow in the world and, uh, and making things more positive? Or is it the same old uh, idea that they are doing this just because they think it's the right thing to do? And it's an intellectual, uh, um, you know, it's an actual intellectual reason. Uh, they're doing it uh, not necessarily out of the being level. Uh, I think that's what you mean by the same mental polarity pattern. Uh, you know, they're just now taking taking this. Well, we control things here. We can control things. You know, in the bigger picture by using our intent. It's just a matter of, of kind of again forcing their will on the situation rather than actually being a part of world peace so that's kind of how i got your 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 question and it all just depends on their intent so if you had 100 people in a room and they were all in a big circle holding hands and concentrating on world peace any number of them could be doing it because they thought it was a really cool thing to do and uh, makes them feel real good about themselves and any number of them could be very sincere in their expression of peace in the world. Now, the ones that were very sincere in that caring, it's out of love, it's out of caring for the world and for the people in the world that you want more peace, you want less strife and less of this ego and less of this you know, greed and war. If they really are trying to help people grow up, 
then they're part of spiritual evolution. And they are actually being helpful to people. It makes people in, in some situation just feel better to where they were feeling kind of down and beaten. They just kind of get this sense of, well, you know, let me stand back up again and try again. Uh, it gives people something that's valuable. If on the other hand, what you were doing was trying to basically force the situation to be more the way you think it ought to be. You see, you were coming at it from a, from kind of a, well, I know what's right. Peace is right. Peace is the best thing. And I can force peace by using my intent to make people more peaceful. You see, now you're not, you're not really being that much part of the problem. I mean, part of the uh, solution. You're not really being a part of the problem either. You're not hurting anything, but basically you have a fair amount of your ego in the, in the mix. And what happens is the people who are genuinely caring and sending out this love energy, if you will, and peace, they're doing a lot of good. So, you know, we'll say that on a scale of one to 10, you know, they're eights and nines. They're really putting energy out there that's peaceful. Where are the ones who are doing it because they think it's the right thing to do or it's cool or they're going to force the world to be more peaceful? You know, they're a forcing function rather than a, a helping, in, you know, enabling function. They're a forcing function. Then on that same scale, there may be twos, you know, ones and twos and threes. Okay. They're still putting out something that's probably. You know, I mean, they're not putting out evil or, or uh, you know, things that are bad. They're putting out good thoughts. So maybe they're giving a, a one or two or three level of, of, of uh, boost to, to peace and to caring. But it's not nearly so strong because they're not coming out of a sincere being level state where they just want expressing their love for mankind, for people, for working together being one you know and that's this feeling that comes out of them now they'll do a lot more good than if they're saying well let's just manipulate the world to be the way we want it we have the power we can make everybody smile you know we can we can do a smile test and you know we're going to make everybody comes out of this big building smile and they can and more people will smile that day if you've got those hundred people saying everybody comes out of that building you know we're going to make them smile and they can have some effect and do that. But the overall value of it for spiritual evolution is small. They're just, they're a forcing function. Yes, they're trying to force in a positive direction, but it's still a forcing function. That doesn't help. Well, it does help. It just helps a little bit instead of helping a lot. So it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's not that they're dragging everybody in the wrong direction. They're just not being as effective as they would be if they were just pouring out their own love and caring, you know, to the humanity in general and doing that at a very deep and sincere level, that would be uh, more effective than if they're forcing things to be in a certain way. You know, it's again, it's, it's not that, that, that they should stop, you know, it's not like, well, you need to weed out those people who aren't, you know, who aren't sincere. You can't tell, you know, everybody should come in. Everybody should participate. Everybody give what they have to give. Some people just have more to give than others. 
just because they have more love inside of them, more capacity with their love to give than others do. So everybody is giving what they have. Some more, some less, but they're all doing it to the degree to which they have grown up and to which they have the capacity to love, you see? So if you got somebody that really doesn't have that much capacity to give or to love, but they're really trying to do the right thing, they're really trying to be part of the solution, but they're mostly, you know, see things in terms of force rather than in terms of gifts and giving, uh, that's all right. They're, they're learning. They're being where they are. And just being in that group will help pull them up. So it's all positive. It's not like you get the good people and the bad people. They're all good people. And they're all being helpful. But just to the degree to which they are able to give, you see, is the, is the degree to which they're being helpful. And that's different in every individual. So it's not that these groups in general are all the same way. They're just a bunch of people. And uh, how good they are, how much they are uh, working towards spiritual evolution and how much they are just forcing other people to smile or to be happier or to not be angry. You know, well, that's functioning something. You're helping people behave better, but you're not really helping them grow up. You're just helping them behave better. You're a forcing function. Behavior, good behavior is is nice. Everybody appreciates good behavior, but it's not the same as growing up and becoming love. It's more acting than being. So you can manipulate people to act better, but you can't manipulate people to be better. You see, that's the difference. So by just giving people love and caring, that helps them be better because it puts them in a, in a more positive space where they can be better. So you can't force anybody to grow up, but you can provide an environment that makes it easier for them to grow themselves up. And those are the people who are sincerely just giving out love. That will help other people grow up a little bit, gives them a little pull, it's a very it's a positive thing. Whereas if you're just trying to, to make them smile or not be so negative, that's civilizing, but it doesn't necessarily help them grow up too much. Maybe it does help them grow up just a little bit, but it's not as powerful a, 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 an inducement for them to grow themselves up. You're just helping them change their behavior. And they don't know why. They walk out of that building, they just feel like smiling. Well, they don't know that there's 100 people trying to make everybody smile who walks out of the building. You see, So they just feel like smiling when they get there, but that doesn't necessarily make them a better person give them more love, help them grow up in it. So I think that's the difference. Do you want to control behavior or do you want to help people grow up? Two different things altogether. But in a mixed group like that, it's just whatever. Give whatever you can give, you see. So everybody should should be, feel welcome. Everybody should feel a part of it. Everybody should feel like they're a contributor and that they're just contributing what they have to contribute. And then it's it's all positive. You see, we don't want to get into you're not contributing as much as they are. They're not contributing as much as you are, because all that is is ego. All that does is tear the whole thing down. That uh, isn't helpful at all. So everybody come join. Let's all see what we can what we can give. And uh, then it's up to every individual. Does that answer your question? I hope I interpreted that right. I think that's a yes, Tom. <laughs> <I think so. laughs>